thank you for your prayers while we were away. They were very effective. I only got plane sick one time. So thank you so much. And that was on the way home. But if you have your Bibles, open to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. If you could ask God to do one thing in your life and you knew without a doubt that he would do that for you, for whatever you requested, what would you ask for? What would you ask of him? You say, well, preacher, I'd ask to be a gazillionaire. Well, how much is that? I don't know, but that's a lot, right? A gazillionaire. Have you realized yet in life that money cannot buy you everything? And money can be very empty oftentimes in life. And maybe you say, well, preacher, I I want God to work in my marriage. I want God to give me a healthy marriage. I want God to give me a new love for my spouse. I need God just to work in my, I need God to work in my family and to just do a miracle of transformation in my family. Maybe you would say, I've got a prodigal child and God just needs to restore, to bring them back, to say, maybe I've got a prodigal spouse and God needs to work in their life and draw them back. Maybe you would ask God to give you a healing. You've got some condition going on. What would you ask for if you could ask for one thing and you knew without a doubt God would do it? The book of James tells us we have not because we ask not. And then when we ask, we ask amiss because our motives are not right. Our motives are not pure. Look what it says in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Who was James? Look over in Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And James is writing this book, he's writing this letter here to to church people, to, to Christians who had been scattered because of persecution. We don't know a lot about persecution in America. We have a lot of liberties, we have a lot of privileges, but, but we don't understand persecution in America. Because it's rampant around the world. And, and there's countries where, where you can be arrested. You would be beaten because of you expressing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here was a time of great persecution. The, the Christians scattered. And James is writing this letter to believers. He's not writing it to lost people. He's writing it to Christian men and women who are scattered because of persecution. And he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Look down what it says in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Can you all say that with me? Superfluity of naughtiness. You all didn't say that. That's not what it says in your translation, is it? Superfluity of naughtiness. You want to get your kids' attention? You better stop that superfluity of naughtiness. Now, they don't have a clue what you're talking about, but you what's that, Dad? That overt wickedness. Bad stuff. He, he says, lay aside all superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You understand the word of God has power. 
You understand that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and His name was Jesus Christ. You understand that Jesus Christ, He went to a cross for you, for me. He bore your sin, my sin. He died for your life, for my life, that we might know God in all of His glory and beauty. But the Word of God can save your soul. And it's the Word of God that's set forth with the unction of the Spirit of God that quickens that dead man to life. And God shows us our need. We respond in repentance and confession of the convicted of sin and God changes us. He saves us. It's the word of God. And and that's what has to be pronounced. That's what has to be proclaimed. That's what has to be set forth. It's the word of God. Is anybody reading one of my devotional books? uh, Rooted. Okay, nobody's reading my books. That's good. That helps me. Make me feel good. The other day, this was what the devotion was about. And uh, it's in Isaiah 56. And it says in verse 10, His watchmen are blind and they are all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs and they cannot bark. What's a dumb dog worth that cannot bark? Why do you have a dog? Because I love them. They're my pets. Dogs bark to give you warning. God God, dogs bark so that you can understand they're getting ready. There's something taking place. And he said, the pastors, the preachers, the prophets of God, they're not barking. You see that today? We want to come to church and feel good, don't we? We want the preacher to stroke us and make us feel like, oh, I I have so many pressures during the week. I don't need to hear about sin. I don't need to hear about. But guys, the word of God says, bark a warning. This is where we live. And so, so James, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to believers, and he's giving them a word. And, and he says, the word of God can save your souls, but you've got to have the proclamation, the barking of the truth of God. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. When was the last time that you said, Lord, I want to do your word? Not just hear it. And when was the last time the word of God made an impact on you that you changed, that you adjusted yourself to the Bible? Because if you don't adjust yourself to the Bible, then you are a hearer. And if you are only a hearer, the Bible says you deceive yourself. Because you think you're something and you're not. Because a child of God is to be a doer of the... See, when, when James was writing this letter to the Christians who had scattered, the problem was this. They were encountering the Word of God, but the Word of God was not changing them. Does the Word of God change you? Does the Word of God move you? Do you say, I have to base my life, my lifestyle, my morality based on what Scripture says? Because if you don't... It says you deceive yourself. It says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth away and straightway he forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. 
If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. This man's faith is vain. Vain means not profitable. The pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Heavenly Father, I pray that you show us your truth. I pray, God, that you preach this day to our hearts. Father, hide me behind the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. When James was writing this letter, he was writing it to Christians who were suffering persecution, who were suffering difficulty. They had scattered abroad. And when they scattered abroad, see, they were needing encouragement. But, but you get encouragement when you respond to what the Word of God says. And if the Word of God is not helping you, is not changing you, are you responding to it? So, so let me ask you an honest question. When was the last time you took a word from the Word of God, from the Bible, and you memorized it because you needed help in a certain area of your life? When was the last scripture? What was the last scripture you took and said, I need to commit this to memory and I need to meditate upon what this passage says. Because if you're not meditating upon the word of God, it's not going to be changing you like God wants it to change you. So what was the last time where you said, God, I've got a problem in purity and I need to memorize purity verses whereby it can help me. God, I've got an issue with finances and I need you to speak to me. And so you find a scripture on finances and you commit it to your memory and you meditate on it. Maybe you've got a problem with fear and anxiety and you say, God, I need help in this area. And you find a passage of scripture in the Bible and you start memorizing what the word of God says you start meditating upon it so that it can have lasting impact so they can change your life when was the last time you had an issue with lust and you said god i need to be an overcomer show me what your word says and you take a passage of scripture you memorize it and you meditate on it so that it can impact your life because if we're not impacted by the word of god what's impacting us the world So you've got to let the Word of God speak. You've got to let the Word of God just breathe into you. You see, the book of James is a revival book. I long for revival. But guys, it's not all fun and excitement when revival shows up. It's painful. Because when God shows up and revive, and it says in the book of Malachi, who can stand in the day of his coming? Who can endure? Because he comes as a refiner's fire. He comes as a fuller soap. He comes to wash, to clean, to expose. See, see when we were gone, we went to, to Wales. And, and, and Wales is the birthplace of the Welsh revival in 1904, 1905. I'll share a lot of this tonight. But, but that's when God sat down in a little church that had 18 young people in attendance. And it sparked a movement, a revival that saved 100,000 in a, in a two-year period. 18 young people. went around the world. See, James says in, in chapter 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You get close to God. You, you lean into God and, and he will come running to you. See, 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 and, and that's what, what, what James is trying to encourage these believers about. You've got to understand God promises in his word if you'll draw nigh. See, 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 James is dealing with, with different sins because they 
the recipients of a letter had, had taken the word of God for granted. Do you do that? Do you take it for granted? You just think it's always going to be available to you? It's always going to be there? It's easy to do that. And so James, he starts dealing with, with different sins. In chapter 1, he deals with their, their temper. In chapter 2, he deals with prejudice. In chapter 3, he deals with their tongue. In chapter 4, he deals with their prayer life. And he says, the Word of God has to make a difference in your life. Is it? Because, guys, if it's not making a difference in your life, then we deceive ourselves, don't we? And, and when we deceive ourselves, we, 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 that means we're thinking we're something that we're really not. But, but look what it says here in verse 19. See, we find the steps that, that are involved that is going to take it. If you as a Christian, you're going to walk in, in, the, in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to walk in, in the abiding presence of Christ, you see what he says here. You're going to have to make some adjustments in your life. And he says, lay aside. Lay aside. I've lost my place. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 21, therefore lay apart all filthiness. What's it mean to lay apart something? Get rid of it, right? Stop it, correct? Because, see, see if you are to, to walk with Christ, if you are to lean in, if you are to, to draw nigh to God, you've got to lay aside. Because if you don't lay aside this, you won't receive the engrafted word into your heart. And, and, and the command of scriptures is we lay aside, we put off filthiness. There's some things we've got to be intentional about. Do you agree with that? Because if we're not intentional about certain things, we don't have time for certain things. So you've got to, as a child, you've got to say, I will lay aside. Because it says, lay aside and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Do you understand our God is able? Did you not hear the words of that song that we just sang? He is not movable. He is not changed. Our God is able. You remember the three Hebrew boys when they got cast into the fiery furnace? They stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he was saying, you better bow down when the music plays. And you better bow down and worship. And they said, no. Our God is able. But even if he doesn't deliver me, I'm not going to bow down. Look what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can come up with or I can come up with. Doesn't that just amaze you? Because I think I can come up with some good stuff. But the Bible says God is exceedingly able to do abundantly beyond what we can comprehend. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Man, I love grace. Don't you love grace? We live in grace, but we walk by faith. You don't walk by grace. You walk by faith. And because of grace, we can know forgiveness. And because of grace, we can know the very mercy of God. Because of grace, God has opened up. We can have a relationship with it. But we walk by faith. Not by grace. 
We walk by faith. Romans 4.21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Hebrews 11.9, Abraham speaking of Isaac, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. God is able and the word of God is sufficient to deliver your soul, to deliver Deliver your life. Do you know that? Or are you deceiving yourself? You've got to be a doer of the work, the word, not a hearer only. See, you've got to understand what does it mean to abide in Christ, to walk in rhythm and harmony with the Holy Spirit of God. It, it means I've got to lay aside certain things that are not becoming Christ. And so the first step to knowing revival that James says is simply this, clean it up. Anybody eat out this week? Yeah, I know. Y'all ain't talking about Didn't you love it when they brought you that, that plate of food and you picked up that fork and that, that free food was still stuck to the fork? Man, you didn't have to pay for that egg yolk, right? That's what you like, right? Man, free food. No. No. You say, pardon me, could you please get me a clean fork, right? Or you're sitting out and you get this great big hair. No, we like it clean, right? And if we like it clean, you understand God says, I want you to be clean. And the responsibility of being clean is your personal responsibility, my responsibility. There's certain things that I have to lay aside. I have to put aside. Clean up all filthiness. Clean up that superfluity of not. Here's the question. What areas in your life are dishonoring to God? What places do you frequent that are dishonoring to God physically or on the world wide web? Where is it that you may go that is dishonoring to God? What pastimes do you have and partake of that is dishonoring to God? What people are in your life that causes you to be dishonoring to God? See, see, here's the danger. We get comfortable in our sin and are not being clean. I mean, little kids don't see the need for a bath, do they? Especially little boys. I'm not dirty. They don't see, 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 and cleanliness is important to God. And so, so, so he says, what is it in your life? How you use your tongue? Do you, do you speak words that are harsh to your wife, to your husband? Anybody got a pocket knife? Anybody? Can I come up here, Eric? I lost my pocket knife this week. I got into Manchester Airport. That's not a switchblade, is it? Okay, well, open. I got in Manchester Airport. I was from me to bear to the to the, the security alerts, and I stick my hand in my pocket. And guess what's in my pocket? Pocket knife. Guess what you do? You drop it in the garbage can because you want to come home. So, so, so you got a pocket knife. No, 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 okay, now put it right in the palm of your hand. No, no, put the tip on the palm of your hand. Pa- stick yourself with the knife. 
I love you and trust you, brother, but hold on. No, hold no, on, no, no, hold on, hold on. no, no. No, no. What? What? You get to do it. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to do it. See, 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 you put it right here. Right there. Okay. That's all I want you to do. Just do that right there. No, no. Yes, go ahead. All right, now, now, touch it. Does that hurt? Okay, push it harder. Right. See, if you push it harder, it will hurt, right? And what do we say? Be a man, take it. Right? All right, you can say. All right. See, that's what you get for being on the front row and you're having a pocket knife. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we do with our kids, though, sometimes, isn't it? We give harsh words that cut to our spouse. We got in at 9.40 Friday night to our house. We were at 9.15 out here in front of the mall. Is this a mall? Yeah. She's been asleep three times. And I'm driving. Are you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. See, there's a six-hour body shift. It was 4 a.m. in the morning, our bodies were saying. And she starts. I've done a bit of sleep. Like, I didn't know that. And she started. I don't even know what she was saying, but she was aggravating me. I said, Char, you're going to make me mad if you don't shut up. See, when you're, when you're not, you're sleep-deprived, you're irritable. Or am I the only one? I said, if you don't be quiet, I said, I'm trying to make you mad so you stay awake. She said, we're nearly home. We're all right. I said, honey, you know most accidents happen five miles from home. Man, I shouldn't have told her that. See, harsh words. And James is saying, clean it up. Reel it in. And that's a challenge for me. But he says, what is it in your life? If you want revival to happen in your life, that you have to put off. You have to take responsibility for. See, see, and he goes to the area of our communication. And, and how do we communicate? How do we communicate with our kids? If you want their attention, text them, right? Text them a Bible verse. Text them a prayer, brief. How do you clean? You become accountable for what is going on in your life. Anybody ever wallpaper your house? Anybody ever take wallpaper off the walls? Man, that's a blessing, isn't it? I probably had, no, no, I've not. I've heard of more marriage fights, wallpapering, and a lot of stuff. But when you take wallpaper off, sometimes it don't come loose, does it? What do we call that? That residue sticks. And see, when you got saved, God cleaned you up. But, but there's some residue that stuck in you, stuck in me. And it's a constant challenge. And so, so when you're trying to take that off, what, what I have to do is sometimes I get a scraper. And what happens when I get to scraper is I get a little generous with my energy level and I'm not only taking off wallpaper, I'm taking off sheetrock now, right? 
And so when I take off that, I've got to go get the spackling and I've got to clean that spot and I've got to respackle it and then I've got to let that dry and then I've got to see, see, see what happens is this when we get residue in our life and, and we get accustomed to it and we say well that's just the way it is no it's not if you're to walk with God he says clean it up lay aside so I get time sure I got a spider in her hair you know what she did she squealed like a girl and she went Whoo! That's what it means to lay aside. You get rid of it. And and, and so James is saying to believers, to Christians, who's not letting the word of God impact them, change them, make a difference in their life. He says, get clean. Lay it aside. Put off the old man. One time, no, every day. And in humility and meekness, Put on the new man. He simply said this, get honest. So what is it in your life that you've got to get honest about that is a residue of the world? Maybe it's in your tongue. Maybe it's a habit. But James is saying, get honest, repent, turn from it, confess it to God, adjust your life to what his word says and refresh yourself on the truth of the word of God. And that's what he says the second. He says, you got to clean it up. And he says, come back to the Bible. Because what he says in verse 21, he says, receive with meekness the engrafted, the implanted word of God, and it will deliver your soul. Don't you want your soul to know that type of deliverance? It will save your soul. But if you don't put off, You don't receive with meekness the the engrafted Word of God. And and, and that's what it means when it says to adjust yourself to what God's Word says. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, what's it say? If you will confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says, I want you to be clean. I want you to get cleansed. Let the word of God come into your heart. Let that engrafted, that implanted word of truth come in. And you do that by adjusting your life, your behavior, your lifestyle to what the Bible says. And you do it by faith. And when you fall down, you get back up, confessing your sin. And you want more time, say, here I am, God. Help me to be clean. Help me to be righteous. Help me to receive your word. And not just say, well, that's the way I am. That's what my daddy was. That's what my granddaddy was. No. Because we've programmed ourselves just to say, well, that's just how I am. And, and yet the grace of God says it will, it, it will save us. But the word of God can, can change us. And, and you've got to say, Lord, honey, changed. Because I got issues. And that's what James was writing about. He said, well, preacher, I'm just too busy. Who's not? I'm too busy. Do you understand how the devil loves to keep us so busy that we don't have time for truth? And the book of Ephesians says, guard the time because there's time robbers that rob us of our time y'all know what time robbers are they look like cell phones don't they yeah look like television sets don't they guard your time 
schedule it. Because, see, see the devil's greatest tool is, is to keep us so busy. We say, I don't have time. I was 24 years old, pastoring a little old mission church plant, Char and I were at in West Virginia. Had this guy come for revival. I thought he was really old at the time. He was about 65. And here's what I remember. I walked into the bedroom where Glenn Hicks was sitting. He was a, been a former missionary into the uh, China area. And he's memorizing scripture. And, and guys, it, it convicted me, impacted me, because I'm thinking, you're 65 years old. Why are you still memorizing scripture? Now, I'm 58 years old, and I realize why he's still memorizing scripture. But as a 24-year-old, I was shocked because I thought, See, what do we give our time to? What do we give our attention to? What are we, what are we striving to, to show forth in our life? We need the Word of God. And the devil takes joy when he keeps us from getting into the Word of God. And yet we have time for all this other stuff that is not important, that's not significant, but we don't have time for the Word of God. And, and, and see, see, we get anxious over stuff that, that we can't control. And, and, and that's because we're not saturating our mind with Scripture. We want to analyze unpleasant situations that we cannot change or fix. And it's because we're not saturating ourselves with Scripture. We go out and we, and, we, and we make purchase of stuff that we've never even prayed about. And we get ourselves in a financial bind because we don't let Scripture speak into our hearts. And James is saying, if you would know revival, draw near to God. How do I draw near to God? I clean it up and I, and I come back to the Word and I make adjustments in my lifestyle, what the Word says. And if we're not making adjustments, we just deceive ourselves. And we can look the part, can't we? And at least to the, to, the, to the last thing in verse 26 and 27, it's kind of a checkup on your progress. It says, if any man among you seem to be religious... Do we not seem to be religious? I mean, look around. We're sitting in a church house on a Sunday morning. We've sung hymns, praise courses, songs. We had an offering. We, we made a sacrifice. We're listening to the, to the, to the Word of God being preached. We, we seem to be religious, don't we? Yeah. But, and the Bible says if you seem to be religious and you bridle not your tongue, You deceive your own heart. Now, if I was going to write this, I would say true religion and undefiled before God is great preaching, soul winning. That's not what it says, is it? It says to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It goes back to cleanliness again. But he says... How do you use your tongue? Do you use your words, your mouth to edify, to build up, to encourage? Or is it just sharp? Like that knife cutting into your hand. Well, so you can take it. He says you use your tongue and you treat others correctly. You don't enable people to sin. But people who are in need and a mess, you reach out and you, you encourage and you help. That's what he says it's all about. 
See, no matter what sin trips you up, and you've got to resolve, I, I will to obey God. No matter what emotion pushes you down, you've got to resolve, I will to obey God. No matter what dark thought pierces into your, 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 your mind and temptation draws you, you need to say, I will. You see, if you want to have lasting change, it affects your, your mind, where you intellectually receive the truth. It affects your heart because you believe in your heart and impacts your will where you say Lord I will obey you and you adjust your life, your behavior and so James is saying do you control how you speak do you care about other Christians Because if you will draw nigh to God, what's the promise? He will draw nigh to you. And it all starts with how we lay aside personal responsibility, accountability by faith. So if you could ask God for one thing and you knew He'd do it, what would you ask Him for? Father, we bow before you this morning. And God, your, your truth, your word is a treasure to us. And Father, I pray that as you've spoken to my heart, to, to the hearts of people here, God, that we will not only hear what you have said, but God, we will do. We will adjust our life, our lifestyle to your word. Because God, your word doesn't return void your word can deliver us your word can save us your word can can change us but god we've got to respond to it and we've got to adjust to it and, god, and father if there's one here lost that doesn't know you as our personal savior this morning i pray god that you would bring great conviction of their sin show them lostness with with such clarity god that they understand that they are lost and undone i don't care if they're a member of this church god i'm baptized 15 times show them where they are god and, and work god with a convicting power to save them and, and father for those who are struggling god with issues in life give them wisdom how to search scripture god how to find verses to, to memorize to meditate on and god that you could speak into them your truth Begin to stir a revival in me and in these people in this church that the walls here cannot contain. And it's not for our glory, God, but for your kingdom. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, has God said anything to you? How's your communication? How's your tongue? Does it edify or does it gossip? Does it criticize? How's your compassion for 